one of my favorite stories in the Gospels is found in John chapter 4. It's the story where Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at a well in Samaria. And uh, uh, many of you know that story, and you know that when Jesus went, or excuse me, the disciples went, went into town to get some food, Jesus meets this woman at the well, just the two of them, and they start a conversation. And they talk about a number of things, but pretty soon into the conversation, there. Uh, 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 the conversation turns to, you know, where is a correct place to, uh, to worship God? You know, the Samaritan woman says, where, you know, you Jews say that we should, that, that you know, um, um, that you worship at the temple and, you know, the temple sacrifices and that. But us Samaritans, we worship here on Mount Gerizim. And, and so, you know, where's the right place? You know, where, where, where are we supposed to worship? And, Jesus, as he responds to her, he says this. He says, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father needs. I want you to notice what Jesus did here. He shifted the focus from the externals of worship. In other words, where's the place? Where do I go to worship? To the object of worship. The person that we worship. He shifted the focus from, from its, you know, saying it's, it's not the place, it's the who. That, you know, God is, is, is looking for worshipers that will worship him in spirit and truth. And yet, you know, so often, isn't it the externals that we focus on so much of the time? You know, how the band sounded, whether or not they sang our favorite songs, how that song made me feel as I was singing it. And those things are all good things. I mean, you know, they're all, they're all good, but if that's what we focus on, then we've missed the point. In Matthew 15, Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah, and he says, These people honor me with their lips. In other words, it's all, they've got all that there. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts, their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands of God. Today I want to talk about worship. And I realize that as we talk about worship in the Bible, it's a very broad topic. I mean, worship really covers every aspect of our lives, you know, how we live our lives. It covers our work. It covers our, our serving. It covers how we, you know, our giving. It covers our, you know, how we sacrifice and the sacrifices we make. It covers all of that. But for our purposes today, we're going to narrow it down to what we typically think of when we say you know, let's go worship, and that is the worship in song as we, as we gather together as a church family, raise our voices in song to the Lord. And we're going to focus on the heart of true worship. You know, we all have our favorite style of worship. We all have our favorite songs you know, the latest song, the hottest new song. We all have our favorite worship bands or worship leaders, and that's great. 
You know, um, our national conference, Vineyard National Vineyard Conference, is coming up soon, and I was so thrilled to see that that this year that Eddie Espinoza is going to be doing some of the worship leading. Now, Eddie, most of you don't know who that is, but he is my favorite worship leader from the early days of the Vineyard. Uh, you know, back in the Vineyard, the early days of the Vineyard movement. And, you know, I always loved his worship, and I haven't heard him lead anything in probably 20 years. But, you know, we all have those preferences. We all have those things that we like. But before, uh, but, 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 but those things are not what determines true worship. You see, true worship doesn't have anything to do with how great the band sounded, doesn't have anything to do with, with uh, 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 whether we're singing the latest songs or whether we're singing, you know, our favorite traditional hymn. You know, my favorite worship song of all time is, is an old hymn that I sang as a child. You know, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, heaven and earth are filled with your glory, Hosanna in the highest. You know, my favorite of, of all time. And, and, you know, we all have those, but that has nothing to do with true worship. True worship has to do with how we posture our heart as we approach God, how we posture our heart. So before we go any further, as we're going to talk about worship, I want us to posture our heart toward the Lord with one of my favorite expressions of worship found in the book of Psalms, and it's Psalm 100. I think it's a great place to just kick off this message. We're not going to go through and, you know, and maybe another time go through and, and pick out things, but, but I, I think it's a great place to start as we just turn and focus on the Lord, posture our hearts toward the Lord with this psalm. Psalm 100. Shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. Go into His courts with praise. Give thanks and praise His name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever, and His faithfulness continues to each generation. Father, we turn our hearts toward You now. And we say, teach us. Teach us what it means to worship in spirit and truth. Teach us what it means to worship in a way that's true. Amen. Now that our hearts are turned toward him, let's talk about what it means to be a true worshiper. I mean, that's what Jesus told the Samaritan woman at the well that the Father is seeking those who worship him in spirit and truth. But what does that mean? You know, what does God want from us in our worship? 
What, 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 what is he asking of us as we worship? What is he expecting of us as we worship him? I want to look at three characteristics this morning of what it means to be a true worshiper. The first sign of a true worshiper is a true worshiper worships with a sense of awe. There's a sense of awe when they worship God. All too often, that sense of awe is lacking when we worship because we've become so familiar with God that, that the, the, um, we, we've, we've lost our sense of awe sometimes. I want to look at Hebrews 12, verses 28 and 29. It says this, starts off, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Now, note, that's not will not be shaken. It's cannot be shaken. So God gives us this kingdom. This kingdom comes to us, the kingdom of God. It's a gift, and no power on earth and no power in hell can shake it. It is unshakable. I mean, let, let that truth, let's let that truth sink in for a minute. It's not just nice-sounding words. It is unshakable. These last couple of years, it seems like practically everything else in our lives has been shaken, right? It's been a, it's been a time unlike any of us have ever lived through. Everything else has been shaken except for God's kingdom. Because nothing can shake that. Nothing. So, the writer says, since we're receiving this unshakable kingdom, let us be thankful. And so, worship God acceptably. Worship Him acceptably. How do we do that? How do we worship God acceptably? We do it with a sense of reverence and awe, he says, for our God is a consuming fire. I want to talk about this sense of reverence and awe for a moment. <clears throat> what does that mean? Reverence is also referred to and, and, uh, as the, the, the fear of God. The fear of God. And awe, you know, His glory, His power, His majesty. You know, Twice in my life, I've been to the Grand Canyon, and I'll be going again soon. But it's a place I can go to constantly because when I approach it and I step up to it, not right on the edge as I did when I was five and almost fell in, but I, I walk up to it and the beauty, the grandeur of I mean, you just stand in awe of it. And that doesn't compare to as we step into God's presence with a sense of awe of His glory, His power, His might, His majesty. When we speak of a sense of reverence and awe, it has to do with a recognition and appreciation of the fullness of God's nature and character. 
his glory, his majesty, his power. When Lisa and I were first married, we lived in our first apartment was a, a small efficiency apartment on married housing here on campus. It was right across the street from Mother Bear's Pizza on, on East 3rd Street. We learned to love that place. We also learned not to go out that door of the building unless we were prepared to buy pizza, <laughs> which at that day we could do good-sized pizza for six-something. Anyway, tells you how long ago it was. And, and you know, our apartment is now, they've torn it down, the building down, and uh, it's a Jacob School of Music now. So, but it was a tiny apartment. We had this portable dishwasher that we would roll up to the sink and connect to the faucet, and plug in and run it. And you're familiar with those? You just roll it up to the sink. Well, one day it quit working. And I don't know why. I still haven't figured it out unless I was too broke to pay somebody for this. But for some reason, I had the thought, I'm going to fix that. So I opened it up, worked on it a bit. I don't know what I was doing. I still don't remember what I was doing. I mean, I, I worked on it a bit. I put it all back together. I hooked it up to the sink, you know, poured this open and hooked it up to the sink, plugged it in, turned it on. The next thing I remember, I was picking myself up off the floor on the other side of that tiny little kitchen. I got the shock of my life. I have a, I unplugged the dishwasher, got rid of it, and it went bye-bye. I have a healthy respect now for the power of electricity. I mean, when I was little, how many of you did this? Let's see a show of hands. You put in, you put, plug in a nightlight, and when you do, you touch both prongs. You know, get that? Well, that dishwasher was nothing like that. It was full-blown, you know, knock you flat power. Um, I have a healthy respect to the power of electricity. It's my friend. I know what it can do. I mean, it's, it's, it's my friend. It helps me out, right? It gives us light. It, it, you know, powers the music, powers the TV. It does all of this stuff in the house. All the things that run by power, you know, it powers my toothbrush and, you know, everything. It's my friend. But I also know what it can do to me if I don't show it the proper respect. Oh. <laughs> that, that's similar in a small way, of what it means to have reverence for God, you know, the fear of the Lord. I know he's gracious, and I know he's benevolent, and I know he's loving toward me. He is a good God. But I also know what he's capable of. I'm aware of his power. I'm aware of his holiness. I'm aware of his righteousness. His, he's, he's majestic, he's all-loving, he's everywhere present. He is also all-powerful. Holy, 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 Lord, God, Almighty. Heaven and earth are filled with your glory. 
I respect that. A little touch of the wrath of God. Yeah, you're not telling me. I felt it. It's like, Dave, what do you think you're doing trying to fix that dishwasher? Anyway, throughout Jesus' ministry, as he prayed for people, as he, you know, he healed the sick, he, he, he raised several that had, had died, you know, Lazarus and, and, and others. He, you know, he cast out demons, he, you know, demonstrations of his power. You know, the people were filled with a sense of amazement and awe. As he healed people, he, he cast out demons, his, you know, he exhibited power over nature. I mean, gets up in a boat in this big storm and just says, be quiet, be still, and boom, the lake just calms like that, that quick. And the authority with which he spoke, they had never seen anything like it. They were filled with amazement and awe. And then after the resurrection, the early church carries on the ministry of Jesus. And there was this sense of awe among the people, among, among the disciples as well. And, you know, the, the, the people were, were, were filled with a sense of awe. And, and, and there was like, yes, I mean, it, it, it was amazing. And I thought about this week, and I wondered, what has happened to our sense of awe in the church? I'm talking Big C Church. What has happened to our sense of awe? Where has our true sense of amazement gone? When did we stop being utterly awed at the presence of God? Because somehow over the last 2,000 years, the church has lost that sense of wonder and awe. You know, one thing the Lord's been showing me lately is that I've got God in a box. And I've got to let him out of the box. Now, don't look at me like that. Because honestly, I think all of us have God in a box. Some boxes are bigger than others. Some boxes are different shapes than others. But I think we all have them in a box. The box is the limitations that we place on God. Not that we think, well, God can't do this. He's not powerful enough. Not, 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 not like that. But our sense of what he will or won't do. See, we're fine as, off, as, as long as he operates within that framework, as long as he operates within that box. But we start to get uncomfortable when he does something outside of the box that we're not expecting or that we start to, we're not used to and we start to get uncomfortable. I know I do. God, why don't you go back to what I know and what I'm familiar with? But we need to get rid of our boxes, all of us, because there isn't a box big enough to contain who God is. And if we are not captivated by a sense of awe every time we enter God's presence, then our view of God is too small, and we have him in a box. So how do we get back to a place where we truly begin to worship with a sense of awe? Well, one thing, we turn our eyes and focus on him. We open our eyes to see Jesus as he is revealed in Scripture. 
not just what our idea of him is, but as scripture describes him. There are physical descriptions of him in Revelation after the resurrection. Read those sometime. Read those sometime. Read, the, read Isaiah 6 when uh, Uzziah you know, goes, goes before the Lord, stands before the Lord. So re- read all of that. Look at who the scripture says God is. Look at Jesus, not just as a man, which he was, he was also God, and look at him in that light. We open our eyes to him. We focus on him. We enter into his presence with thanksgiving, gratefulness in our hearts, with a true attitude of, God, I'm so thankful. And it doesn't matter what else is going on in our life. We still have so much that God has blessed us with, so many ways that he's, that he's blessed us. We lift our eyes and look at who he is instead of what our box says he can or can't do or won't do or whatever. The more we see the resurrected Jesus as he's revealed in Scripture, the more we'll, we will be filled with a sense of awe. Hebrews 29, we just read it. God says that God is a consuming fire now that's a part of his nature that we don't always like to talk about because consuming fire has to do with his wrath towards sin and the evil in this world but we need to keep that picture of god in front of us we don't have to fear him in the sense of we're terrified that that's going to be turned toward us because as his children Those who have been born of God, we've been forgiven. So we don't face his wrath. But it doesn't in any way lessen it toward the sin in this world for those who reject him. See, we love him and we know that he loves us. But that doesn't change who he is. I love the part of uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. Several are familiar with this. C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia, where Lucy is told about Aslan the lion, and Aslan represents God. In Revelation 5, Jesus referred to as the lion of the tribe of Judah. So when Lucy is told about him, she asks, is he safe? To which Mr. Beaver responds, Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. He's, <laughs> but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And then Mr. Tumnus adds, he's wild, you know, not a tame lion. That's a good approach or a good illustration to tell us how to approach God. Not safe, but good. So I can kind of identify with that when uh, we went to visit John and Riley in Kenya. You know, I remember the first time we went on safari, we were in this open vehicle. I mean, you know, this, the, the door came up to about here as you're sitting on the seat. Door's about this high, nothing up here until the roof. No windows, no metal bars, cage, nothing like I mean, you're out in the open. And we pull up to a lion. 
I mean, the first thing, you know, we, we're going through looking for all the animals. From here to, I don't know, maybe that subwoofer or that thing on the wall, you know, right around there, just laying there. Big male lion, full mane, just laying there with his head up, looking at us. That's a strange feeling. And I said, you know, I said to the guy, are you sure we're okay? Are you sure we're not too close to this thing? We were fine as long as we stayed in the vehicle. We got out of the vehicle, we were lunch. Uh, but um, so we stayed in. Uh, but anyway, it's it's this illustration of a lion. It's like he's not safe in the sense that, you know, we can't approach him irrever- irreverently or flippantly. But he is good. And we must never take his goodness for granted. You see, we can boldly enter his throne room and we can do it with confidence. But there's only one reason for that. And that's the blood of Jesus that was poured out on the cross, that was shed for us, that's applied to our life. That's what gives us the confidence and the boldness that we can enter his throne room and and go right up to him. And yet, For some reason, we don't always approach God with the sense of awe that we should. You know, often I think because, you know, we let so many other things come in and cloud our vision of God. And it just happens during the course of life. I mean, things happen that are out of our control because life is difficult sometimes. We take our eyes off of Him, the one who can guide us through our problems, the one who can solve our problems, the one who can, who can help us out. We take our eyes off of Him, and then we start to look at the problems in our life. We start to, to listen instead of God saying, you know, don't worry, you're okay, I'm going to take care of you, I'm with you. Instead of that, we start listening to negative voices. And, and you know, and, and instead of surrounding ourselves with a community of people who encourage us, though, you know, uh, uh, we, we, we start to, to, you know, get with people that are just going to Tell us how bad it is and how terrible it is and, and, and all of that. And, and, you know, our vision of God becomes clouded. We, we neglect to get into, you know, we neglect God's word and, and, and just kind of let it collect dust over there instead of, you know, feeding on it on, on a regular basis. It's no wonder we don't have a sense of awe when we approach God in worship or prayer. I want to ask us this morning, What are we focusing on? What are we focusing on? Let's be intentional about always approaching God. Whenever we approach God, let's be intentional about approaching Him with a sense of reverence and awe because God is a consuming fire, but He's also good. He is the powerful mighty, majestic, roaring lion of Judah. But he's also good. And you are the object of his affection. You are the one 
that he loves. That's what we need to focus on. Psalm 95.6 Psalm 95, says, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Taking a posture of humility and surrender to Him as we stand in awe of His glory, power, beauty, and might. I tell you, in the Bible, when somebody came, you know, came, 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 you know, just the Lord appeared and they're right there before Him. What did they do? Boom! They fell on their face. They fell on their face. Woe is me! I'm a dead man. And the Lord says, "No." Stand up. Second, true worshipers worship with abandon. Abandon. There's a story in 2 Samuel. King David's bringing back the ark, the ark of the Lord to Jerusalem. It was cause of great celebration and great joy. And along the journey to Jerusalem, there was, I mean, you know, all along the road, as they go along, there was singing, there was shouting, there was blowing of trumpets. They stopped after six steps. I mean, after six steps, they stopped and sac- made a sacrifice to God. I mean, it was a great time of celebration and joy. Even King David got into it. In verse 14 it's of, of 2 Samuel 6, And David danced before the Lord with all his might. He danced before, I can't do that because I don't have rhythm, but he did. He danced before the Lord with all his might. Now, that phrase, all his might, that means he didn't hold anything back. He worshipped with abandon before the Lord. He worshipped with everything he had. And that's what God is looking for. He's God looking for people who will worship Him with all their might. That's the kind of worshiper God is looking for, and that's how King David worshipped. But as you read the story, as a prof- this joyous procession of celebration, ushering the ark, bringing it back into Jerusalem, as it, as it approaches the town, his wife, David's wife, Michael, was watching through a window at, as the procession approached Jerusalem. She's watching through the window, and she looks at him, and she despised the way he was acting. She considered it undignified for somebody of, a, uh, of his position, not fitting for the king to have such a demonstration like that in front of all of his servants and in front of all of the, all of the people. He's not acting dignified enough. This is David's reply to her criticism. He says, I was dancing before the Lord. Yes, and I'm willing to look even more foolish than this even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servants, girl, you mentioned, will indeed think I'm distinguished. He's saying, I I don't care what I look like. I remember when I first, actually just before I gave my life to Christ, I would end up visiting this strange church, totally unlike anything I was used to. I mean, I was used to going in and, you know, folding my hands, maybe mumbling something, you know, kneel down, pop up, sit down, kneel down, pop up, sit down, you know, the whole, the whole bit. I got to where I could manipulate that kneeling bench in front of me with my foot so quick, I could flip it down and up just with a flick of my foot. It was great. This wasn't anything like that. 
these people, they sang songs, and they raised their hands. Who in the world does that? I mean, only the priest raises their hand, right? But here, the people in the congregation were doing that. So anyway, I thought, I stood there. I'm not raising my hands and looking like a fool. Little did I know everybody else had their hands raised, and I was the one that, anyway. Uh, so, but see, when you worship with abandon, you don't care what anyone else thinks. You might raise your hands, you might kneel, you might lay prostrate before the Lord, you might dance. You don't care because you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for the king. You're not concerned if you can carry a tune in a bucket. You don't care because you're not singing for them. You're singing for an audience of one, and that's him, the king. And you know what? No matter what your voice sounds like to, any, to you or to anybody else, it's beautiful to him. You're singing for the king. Who cares what anyone else thinks? Third thing about true worshipers, and then we'll wrap up with this. True worshipers worship with intimacy. Intimacy is defined as close familiarity, friendship, closeness. I remember, you know, the, the one of the things that marked the Vineyard movement in the very early days is the songs were unlike anything else that was being sung at that time. There were a lot, you know, groups starting to raise up, singing a lot of praise and jumping around and, and you know, high energy stuff. But the vineyard came out was, and was known with songs of intimacy. Songs saying, I love you, Lord. You're beautiful. You're wonderful. Songs like that. Here's something we need to understand. We started out with this today, talking about worshiping with a sense of reverence and awe because God is so much greater than us, so much higher than us, so much more than us in every way. He, so we're, we're, we're you know, talking about a sense of worshiping with a sense of reverence and awe. You know, God is that all-consuming fire. And now we're talking about worshiping with intimacy, close familiarity, friendship, closeness. We need to understand that these two things are not mutually exclusive. See, we can approach this awesome, all-consuming fire of a God, and we can worship Him with abandon, and we can worship Him with intimacy because we have access to, through our relationship with Jesus. We come up to the throne room. Jesus throws open the door, embraces us, and welcomes us into the presence of the Father. Our admittance has already been paid by the blood of Jesus. So we worship with a sense of reverence and awe. We worship with abandon 
and we worship with intimacy. Psalm 27, 4. One thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek. See, the Lord is his sole focus. The psalm is sole focus. This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Then he says, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. That's the language of intimacy. Lord, you're beautiful. You're wonderful. I love you, Lord. And then to seek him in his temple. In Psalm 141.2, Accept my prayer as incense offered to you, and my upraised hands. In other words, were surrendered to his awesome power, to his majesty, to his glory. My upraised hands as an evening offering. Let's make an intentional effort to posture our hearts for true worship whenever we gather together. And let's get rid of the boxes that we've put God in. Let's begin to see Him outside the box. Let's break out of our comfort zones and approach God with a sense of awe and worship Him with abandon and worship Him with or in intimacy. Because that's the way of worship that Jesus made available to us. Let's stand. want us to pray. Lord, we don't want to put you in a box any longer. You're much too powerful, much too grand. You're too majestic for that. You're beyond anything I could even imagine. Your glory, your holiness, your righteousness knows no bounds. You defy all our attempts to limit who you are. So, Lord, our prayer is, show us your glory. Show us your glory, Lord. Reveal to us not just an idea of who you are. We want to see you. Reveal yourself to us. Until we get to the point, Lord, we, where we hold up our hand and say, I can't take anymore. As we stand in your presence, let us never take you for granted. Let us never cease to be amazed at your power and your glory and your majesty, at your beauty. Fill our minds with awe and amazement, wonder, 
that we would learn to worship you with abandon and with intimacy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I'll give you a benediction. Put yourself in a receiving posture. Now may the, Lord, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. May the eyes of your heart be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Amen. God bless you. Go and have a great week, and we'll see you Saturday for Churchyard Cleanup.